for thinking about New Year, a new decade. Some of you are old like me. I'm still trying to get used to the 1990s. I remember, I mean, I remember that. I remember, I only knew the 80s. That's the only decade I ever knew. And just the thought of putting 1990 oh, just kind of made me feel so odd. And now we are in 2020. Who could have believed it? I didn't think we'd ever get here. In fact, someone uh, pointed this out that uh, we're just as close today to 2050 as we are to 1990. Hey, time's just moving along. It's moving along. But here's what I know is that God um, God is watching us. He's welcoming us. Uh, he has a plan for us. I was particularly just touched by the music today. I, I just needed to hear those lyrics today. And, and I'm just so glad you're here. You're, you're in the right place today because you're, you're in God's care. You're in God's hand. And as we start a new year, listen, all this stuff that we are announcing and, and you, you have the review in your hand, it's all this stuff that like churches want you to get involved in because we've made these plans and we need you to make these plans happen. Yeah, I get that. I know that. I understand that. But let's just let all that wash away. And you know that you're loved by God. God set his love upon you. Um, you are so loved today. Like just, just feel in that chair that you're sitting in that like you're right in Right in God's home. I'm not talking about uh, this organization known as CIL. I'm talking about the kingdom of God, the table of God. And I, I just know this is that his plans for you are so great. Don't doubt him today. Trust him. Allow him to take you into a preferred future. And I just, I realized, you know, I prepared a sermon. I'm excited about teaching. It's more of a teaching today. But, but I just, I feel the gravity of this moment that you're, you're, you're dealing with things that I don't know about and, and only the Holy Spirit knows about. He knows the details of what you're dealing with and he cares for them so much. And because he knows the details, he knows the solution. Because he knows the future he, he is preparing you for the future. He tells you what you need to know to take the next step, but he doesn't give you two steps or three steps or four steps because um, he's protecting you and he's watching you and he's, he's looking over you. He's, he's nurturing you. He, he's a father who, who knows what you need and when you need it. And so just from my heart, know that you're in the love of God today and you're cared for deeply by the Lord. And uh, we have a great future ahead of us, don't we, in Jesus. We have a great future ahead of us in Jesus. Um, so I, I love all these documentaries that come out this time of year of, of reviewing the decades. Because when we look at the decades, it helps us organize our time. It helps us kind of understand, hey, back in the 2000s or the 2010s, this is what was going on in my life. And so it feels fresh. The new year, it feels like a fresh pair of socks, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't it nice to put a new pair of socks on uh, for dads? That's a great Christmas gift for us. And it just, just feels fresh and we're ready to go. We're ready to step in to, to a new future. And so, I, you know, I like to write down different thoughts and and, and brainstorm and organize thoughts. And, and I do a little bit of teaching on the side. And so I, I put together this chart that, that I really enjoy putting together. And I thought, I got real excited. I said, I'm going to share this chart with the people on January 5th. And then I started thinking, I'm like, 
I don't want to bore them with my chart. Well, my wife, she does graphics around here. Uh, she's on staff, does more than anyone ever knows. But one of the things, many things she does, she does the graphics. And so uh, last night while I was watching football all night, she was working on, on my graph. And I kind of casually said as the night ended, I don't know if I'm going to share the graph tomorrow. <laughs> and she gave me a look like, what? You've been watching football the last two hours. I've been working on this graph. So I'm going to share this with you. And if, if, if you're bored about it, just hang in there with me because it, it, the sermon will get better later. But I find it interesting and I hope you're interested in it too. So here's, here's as I've been thinking about the decades here, you know, I, I, I just don't only remember the 80s, I don't remember the 70s. And one of the things I remember about the 80s, you, you can write this stuff in if you want to, or I'll email you the beautiful, awesome chart that Beth created for me. Uh, you know, in the Cold War, we, we were very, very paranoid uh, that the world was going to end badly. Uh, our conflict with uh, the USSR. I, I remember thinking that you know, all Russians were mean. Like, I was, I was afraid if I ever ran into a Russian, they'd just kill me on the spot right there. Uh, in the Olympics, I remember, I remember the 88 Olympics and just all of that, all of that angst around the Cold War. Uh, years later, here at this church, uh, one of our workers in the Mother's Day Out program in help was a Russian who moved here and immigrated to the United States of America, and we ended up supporting her in ministry. So we were having a conversation one day, and I told her that very thing, and she said the same thing about us as Americans. Uh, she's like, we were scared of Americans. Uh, we thought you guys were mean. Th this whole idea of, of a real clear conflict between good and evil, or, or what, it was very easy. The world was divided into two camps. And so that was the culture in which I grew up in, and in the church, as you see underneath there, is the church began to politicize. And, and you could argue good and bad for that, but there's idea of the way we were going to win the kingdom of God back is through politics. And though some good may have come from that, also some challenges came from that too. Then in the 1990s, when the Cold War ended, globalization occurred. And all of a sudden, we discovered the world is actually good. And there's a lot to discover. And a lot of the people we were suspicious of before, now we're friends with. And airline travel, I, it became easier to travel and cheaper to travel. And there was like this wide open kind of discovery of the rest of the world. And the church, which is the world I lived in, became real pragmatic. So we started doing things like having skits and showing movie clips and giving really um, kind of self-help offerings. And good things came from that. In fact, we still do some of those things. I, I, I gave a movie clip on Christmas Eve. Back in those days, I was like, guys, I was writing skits myself. Like I was like writing dramas and acting them out. I was an actor. I, was a, I won't act out anything for you. So some good came from that, but we didn't have a whole lot of room for history. We didn't have a whole lot of room for theology at that time. And then we move into the 2000s and 9-11 changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And it kind of awoke us from this um, sense of safety. And how that translated into the church for me is, is some of the superficial things that we did before didn't seem to fit as well. And so there were all types of reactions and reactions to the pragmatism of the 90s. And it came in a lot of different forms. 
There, there'll be like five of you who know about this, the emergent church, uh, the young Calvinist movement, positive things like the evangelical worship movement and things like passion. And so like all of the evangelical church started like lifting their hands. It wasn't just for the crazy Pentecostals. Like all, all people started lifting their hands because there's this idea of let's connect with the presence of the Lord. Let's uh, not have that which is shallow. Let's go deeper with God's presence because this is a scary world and we need connectivity. And then in the 2010s, this is my own term as I try to be a closet sociologist. Um, Neo-nationalism, this kind of started with, um, in other parts of the world, with the Arab Spring, with Brexit, leaving the European Union, the, the, um, the United Kingdom, and then in different kind of political movements here in the United States. And here's what I want to point out about that, is that um, after World War II, nationalism seemed to have a lot of common ground. Everybody was proud of our country, proud of America. Now there's such divergent views on what America should be. This neo-nationalism is very divisive. It's very hurtful. It's very, uh, it separates families. It separates people. And so we have to navigate that. So that's my little chart. Um, and if you ever take one of my classes, we could spend about two hours on that. But we'll just move on. I say all of this is because decades give us perspective because we lived through, not all of you lived through all of those decades, but we all lived through some of those decades. And, and this is like the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. Uh, and and we, could, we could extend that chart to all kinds of categories, but we, we don't realize that we're influenced by the world that we're in. And it's within that world that we make decisions and we build relationships and, and we... Uh, choose our morality, and we choose our God. Th this is the life in front of us. So, so the question is, what does the future hold? What does the future hold? Well, we don't know. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what's ahead of us. And that's why when we don't know the future, we have to go back to the past, that which is reliable, that which has been tested, that which is, is not trendy, it doesn't change, it doesn't come, it doesn't go, it's not influenced by personality, and that's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord and what it is for us. You know, the last part of that chart I, I, I didn't really mention, but I'll mention it quickly, is we, we've seen statistically a great decrease in church participation in the United States of America. And, and uh, I mean, it's just kind of depressing in some ways. Go look it up yourself. The Pew, Pew Research uh, Institute came out with a report in the fall that was just very, very discouraging. But um, you know why I'm encouraged today? Because you're here. All right? Because you're here. And God's people are, are being gathered to God's kingdom. All right, so that was my chart. And it makes me think about us being strategic people looking into the future. David was going to become the king of Israel. God anointed him, but he, there was quite a delay because Saul was holding on to the kingdom. And as, Saul, as Saul's kingdom began to decline, and the favor of God was not on Saul, all of these people started coming around David. 
all of these people, it, it first started with just renegades and then actual soldiers and captives all started coming around David. And this is our, our first text today. Yeah, I'm gonna get to the Bible. Uh, all you Bible thumpers, you're, you're, you're Veritas people. Like, What's he doing? He's not preaching at the end. He's starting the Bible. We're gonna get there. We got lots of scripture. Here we go. First Chronicles 12, 23. It says, these are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came to David. Now, here's just a quick little leadership lesson. You know, Saul made people come to him. David's people voluntarily came to him. And they came to him in Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him according to the word of the Lord. So these were, these were soldiers, these were captains, these were tribal people that like wanted God's purposes to come about for their people. And, and they knew that purpose was in the ascension of David. And so he begins now, the, the, the writer of, of First Chronicles begins to list all the tribes and he begins to number them. And going on down to verse 32, he talks about Issachar. This is verse 32. Let's put that up there. And men who had, here's a key phrase, understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do and all their kingsmen under their command. This is a phrase that I want you to be aware of because one of the reasons we're readers, we're thinkers, one of the reasons we're learners, one of the reasons that we are people who observe culture, talk about culture with one another, and try to integrate the word of God as a leader in culture is because we understand the times. So my little chart was to help generate thought in you and so you realize that the, the atmosphere around you is, is, not, um, is not something that does not affect you. It, it, it's impactful. And so you are a faithful person to the word of the Lord and to the gospel message in any culture, any environment you're at. Part of that is, is that like the sons of Issachar, Men who understood the times. If you look at the list, they, they number all of these lists. And this tribe, this grouping was the smallest group. Even though it was the smallest group, it was the group with the most insight. And I, I, want, I want you guys to see that, that as the future unfolds, in this unpredictable future we have, we didn't know a week ago uh, we would be so close to war with Iran. Oh, Lord forbid that we go to war and we pray for our leaders. We, those are difficult decisions. I wouldn't even know how to make those. I pray for, for all those people in authority. We didn't know that would happen a week ago. We don't know what next week's going to bring. We don't know what, what circumstances we have with our physical bodies, with our relationships, with family dynamics. But there are some things that we can really hold on to. There are some things that we can understand. We can discern the culture around us and, and lean in to what God has. So this is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you uh, three points, three scriptures regarding our future that I, I just know God's character, that God is in this. And here's what I see happening in the decade ahead. Number one, write it down. There's going to be a greater contrast, a greater contrast between those who belong to God and those who rebel against God. It's just going to become more obvious. This is self-evident with some of the statistics I referred to. We're in a post-Christian America. Now, I, I want revival. I want a renewal. 
I believe it can happen. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a person of hope. Uh, you know, I, I, I believe that because we don't know the future, that we could see the greatest days of spiritual renewal ahead of us. That's what I'm working for. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing for, where God arrests our, our hearts and that uh, we, we are people of repentance and power and holiness. And, and, and this is going to happen. This is guaranteed to happen. We just don't know to how many? Will it be just the remnant or will it be a revival that reaches the whole country? I pray that it's the second. It is a revival. But when God's people were in very, very dire times, very, very difficult times, and, and they were beginning to think, does it really matter in serving God? Does serving God really matter? I mean, really. Participating in the kingdom of God, participating in the things of God, does it really make a difference? This is what God said through the prophet Malachi in chapter three, verse 17. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In that day, when I make up my treasured possession, that phrase, treasured possession, such a beautiful phrase about God's heart for us, God's heart for you. Uh, This idea that This treasured possession was what kings would often give to make covenant with people. They would give a jewel of value. And the greater the treasure, the greater the promise. The greater the treasure, the greater the covenant. And God says, you are my treasured possession. The the thought here is like, like someone digging through the mud to see a diamond pop out of the mud. And the Lord saying to us, that is who we are to him. And in a world where there's a lot of darkness, and I don't have to talk about that. You could preach that part of the sermon. A lot of evil, a lot of negative, uh, a lot of uh, things that make us just sigh and our hearts sink. God says, out of that, you're my treasured possession. You're, You're my beautiful one. His people have always been that which he has set apart for himself and for his glory. Going back to the scripture in verse 17, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Verse 18, then once more shall you see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. I wanna encourage some of you who are just a little Battle weary, you feel like you're not recognized, you're not promoted, you feel like someone that you discern doesn't have your character, that doesn't have your strength, that doesn't believe in the name of the Lord, they get all the blessing and you don't. It's easy to say, it's easy to say, hey, serving God, is it really worth it? The Lord, the Lord told his people and it extends to us today that as his coming His coming appears as he shows up, as he shows up to really judge the world and judge the world that he's gonna come and there's gonna be a distinction once again between the righteous and the unrighteous. And I see that we have in our future a great contrast before us, a a great chance to, to move towards the light, a great chance to move towards the truth, to move towards that which is good, that which is of the Lord, that which is a beneficial. And that contrast is before us. And my, my prayer for you, that as you reorientate your life, 
reorientate your year, reorientate your values as you begin to see your future, that it would take you to the presence of the Lord. It would take you to the cross. It would take you to Jesus because there is the distinction. We are Jesus people. We're not religious people. We're Jesus people. We're not church people. We're Jesus people. It's about what he did for us. The very distinct story. It's a very specific story. It's not one distinct way and a distinct name. And that contrast is being set up. Here's the second thing. Greater opportunity. I don't believe that as we move into the future and as we perceive, if trends continue in our nation, you know, we, we see that Christianity may have less of an influence unless revival happens. I'm believing for revival. Church attendance may not be as vigorous unless there's a move of God. I'm believing there is a move of God. But either way, we're going to be all right. Either way, God has great opportunity before us. Let's not think, well, I wish I would have been alive back in the 1880s or in the 1940s or in the 1970s and we sometimes pick an idealistic time to say like it would have been easier back then. Life would have been better or I would have, been, I would have fit more in a different culture. Well, while you may admire a past culture, the culture that you're supposed to be in is this one. God's placed you right here in this place, in this time for this reason. Because there's great opportunity before you. Opportunity to reflect Christ. Opportunity to be in friendship with Jesus. Opportunity to reflect who he is to the world. Opportunity to find that meaning of life that's greater than anything else we could hold on to. And, and mirror that back to our friends and to the community. So... The book of Daniel is an odd book after about the first three chapters. And it kind of talks about the future. Well, it does talk about the future. And some of it has already occurred. Some of it will occur. Now get this. Some of it has already occurred, occurred but may occur again. I don't know if that confused you at all. So I'll say this. Some things have occurred. Some things will occur. Some things have already occurred but will occur again. And in Daniel chapter 11, um, he, he's talking about writing down a future where God's people were decimated. Um, they were overtaken, totally took Judaism and made all the Jews turn away from the word of God. That, that's what they, they did. And they did it in such a a horrible way. This was about 160 years before Jesus came to earth. So it was after Daniel, before Jesus. Are you with me? After Daniel, before Jesus. That timeline meant something to me. It probably looks terrible to you. But um, here it was that this king from what we now call Greece invaded Israel, turned all the people away from God, and took the temple and made people to start worshiping Zeus. And to just really drive this point home. He went into the temple, into the most holy place, and, and sacrificed a pig there to Zeus. This is something known as the abomination that causes desolation. And that, that's, a, that's just a, a huge term, but, but it's a biblical term. 
that's found a, a couple of places in the Bible. The abomination that causes desolation. And so the, the idea here is Daniel says this is going to happen in the future. And it did about 160 years before Jesus came. And then it's likely to happen again in the future. We don't know for sure, but that's what some biblical scholars think. So what happened is there was a resistance movement, a resistance movement to this Greek king. And a man and his son, the sons, against all odds, led what is known as the Maccabeus Revolution. And they resisted and would not worship Zeus in the temple. And they led God's people to a form of resistance that even though they didn't prevail, uh, they did prevail in the sense that the, the ways of the Lord were preserved. And this is celebrated in part during Hanukkah, which we just ended, okay? So now we go to Daniel 11:32, when it's describing all of this that was going to happen. It said this in verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. Now, this scripture is so encouraging because it's already come true through the story I just told you through the Maccabeus Revolution, uh, this resistance. Um, these were men and their families who said, we won't bow to Zeus. It doesn't matter if you desecrate the temple. It doesn't matter if you try to force us to turn against our God. We will not do it. We will give our lives before we resist the kingdom of God. So even though times were difficult and dire, and as, as, as difficult as you can even imagine, the people who knew their God did exploits. This has already come to pass. We've seen it happen in measure. But brothers, sisters, I'm going to tell you this. This scripture is over you too because it's talking about your future because your future is a future of victory. Your future is a, is a, is a future of overcoming. You are going to do great exploits for your God. When you begin to, 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 to hide yourself under the shelter of God, to stay close to the heart of God, to honor the word of God, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are before us. It doesn't matter. We don't know the future. The future, we could have the greatest revival in front of us. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm working for. That's what I'm believing for. We could have something that we can't even imagine today that's hard and that's difficult. But whatever the future holds, you're going to do great things. Whatever the future holds, when you know you're God, you're not going to shrink. You're not going to turn back. You're not going to be overcome. You're not going to turn away. You're not going to turn your back on your God because the one who is inside of you, the Holy Spirit within inside of you, is greater than the one who's in the world. That's the Antichrist himself, the one who wants to attack, whether they attack through a, through a, a physical attack or whether it's a, a social attack because that can feel very encompassing to us. Uh, if, if whatever it is, we will overcome. This is what the opportunity before us is. There's a great contrast, but there's also a great opportunity. Here's the last one. A greater anointing. A greater anointing. I believe that in the days to come, God has for us more of his Holy Spirit, more of his power, more insight into his word. That's what the anointing is. The anointing is God's presence. 
When God's presence is connected to a sermon, it's an anointed sermon. When God's presence is connected to a song, it's an anointed song. When God's presence is attached to a person, they're an anointed person. It's not just talent. It's not just entertainment. It's not just... Uh, it's not just something that's enjoyable. All those things are okay. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but I'm saying that when the anointing comes on your life, it's the presence of God on your life, and it begins to change everything. It gives you power over sin. It gives you perspective that's heavenly, that's greater than the things that bring us down and that attack us and that imprison us. So the book of Revelation talks about our future. It talks about the future ahead of us. It talks about God's believers and and what's going to happen. And I love this scripture. It's been such an encouragement to me. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And it says this, And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. So here it is, this, this description of us. The description that John, as he was writing Revelation, described God's people in the future. And there were people of victory. And there were people who overcame. And there were people who who, uh, didn't allow the enemy to, to take their lives. But instead, they gave their lives. And it starts with Jesus. We overcome through Jesus. When we go to the Lord's table and and we take the symbolic bread and we drink the cup, we, we don't do that out of wrote religion just because that's what we do when we go to church. We do that because we're tapping in to the power of the gospel, understanding that without Jesus, we would have no hope. Without the resurrection, we would have no power. Uh, without Jesus, we would have no right to heaven. And so when we come together to worship, we, we come together and we're Jesus people. And we revolve our worship around Jesus. And the bread and the cup reminds us that Jesus is the center of our lives. He's the center of our worship. He's the center of who we are. They've overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's the work of the cross, the, the love of the cross. The love of the cross. He loved us so much. And by their testimony, that's your story. Can I tell you, you have a great story. Listen, it's not about the people with the microphone. I mean, we, we, we just can talk a little bit. We're assigned by God to talk. We're not the ones with the great stories. You have a great story. And you're in the middle of a great story. When Aubrey and I, we were up here and we're leading you guys in worship and, and we're, we're seeing you uh, go before the Lord, we're, we're aware that you're in the middle of your story now. You're in the middle of your fight now. You're in the middle of great challenges now, but you're overcoming. You're stepping out in faith. You're not giving up on what God's planned for your life. You're not giving up when it's tough. You're walking through the resistance. You're overcoming all the adversity. And guys, your story is great. The enemy wants to attack and think that you're insignificant. He wants you to think that what you do doesn't matter. He wants you to think that your story just blends in when God is cheering you on and God is supporting you and God is saying, come on, sister, come on, daughter, come on, son, keep on moving towards me, keep moving towards the cross, keep moving towards the will of God, keep moving towards the purposes of God. That's how we overcome. We overcome when we have a testimony, when we have a story, when we have, we're living that thing out. Guys, we're living that story, that testimony together. And they didn't love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Oh, I I don't know. I can't say where I am on this. I just know that with God's help. I want to die daily to Aaron 
oh, I don't always do it, but hopefully I will again. I, I, I hope that I can be like the people in the Bible, the people through church history, uh, the, the people who said, I won't turn from God. I, 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 will, I would give my life before I would deny the name of Jesus. Could I do that? I don't know, but I want it. I hope I could. And I believe this, that, that the power of the Holy Spirit comes on us and, and we do what we couldn't do by ourselves in, in, in a setting like this. We're like, I don't know if I can stand for Christ in that situation. When that time comes, if he needs you to, you'll be able to stand because his power is within you. You'll be able to stand against any temptation, any point of resistance. And this is what God has for us. I want us to stand together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we move into a new decade, Lord, we, we don't know the future, but we know that you hold the future. We don't know what will happen to us, but we know who will support us. We don't know what challenges are in front of us, but we know that we have the overcomer, the one who will help us overcome every challenge. Father, we pray, Lord, that even as we sang earlier today, that we would not lean on our own understanding, but we would trust in you. We speak against the fear. I want you just right where you're standing to to look fear in the face. And, and all of us have fears. Come on, let's be honest. Every single one of us have fears. Every single one of us have fears. And the, and the enemy wants to use those fears to paralyze us. But right where you're standing, I want you to visualize that fear. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, you're gonna move forward. You're gonna move past that fear. You will not stall. You will not stay still. You will not be planted in a way that is negative or in a way that is not preferable from God. But you're gonna take that next step. You won't be frozen anymore. You'll be able to take that step into God's destiny, that step into God's purpose, because he has given you a great opportunity before you to step towards Jesus and to step into all that he has. Father, I just pray for a stirring. Would you begin to pray with me right now? Let's just begin to call upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just begin to pray for a stirring right now. Can you just believe that the Lord's beginning to stir up in you the resolve that you need, the courage that you need, the power of the Holy Spirit that you need, that the Holy Spirit's just beginning to bring back to life that which is dead. The Holy Spirit's beginning to give direction to where there was no direction. He's given vision to where there's blindness. The Holy Spirit is, is showing open doors where everything's been closed. The Holy Spirit is beginning to give new hope where there was hopelessness. This is the work of our God. The work of our God's moving us into his preferred future for us. The work of our God is stirring up the good things of God within us. He is pulling us into his will. He's pulling us into his purpose. He's gathering us into the purposes of God, into the will of God. This is the love of the Father, the same love that I told you that started out this sermon. I said, God loves you so much. He loves you so much. It's not just to feel good. It's to be good. It's to move in to the purposes of the Lord and to the destiny of God for you. So God, I speak over my friends, Lord, as we move into a new decade, Lord, new purpose, new focus, Lord, new attention upon the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray, Jesus, for your greatness, Lord. Pull us forward into you. We love you. We thank you for that.